Welcome and Happy New Year to you, my dear listeners. Hello, I'm Becky. It's wonderful Hadid, to connect with you again. Recipe. Thank you so much for being here. As my weekly guests share their stories, I'm looking the forward to a 2021 memories. full we all of better stories cooks, that feed our curiosity, and, and that starts those that right have now. Us through their cooking. Have you ever tried something new and loved it so much you wanted to tell everyone about it? Well, when Eleni's mother introduced her to a slow cooker, Eleni didn't just tell her friends about it. She immediately started a business importing slow cookers to her homeland of Greece. Not only that, but with just five recipes on a sheet of paper, Eleni purposed to write a cookbook about Greek cooking in a slow cooker, which has now been published and sold around the world. Only from a woman who makes these types of wild dreams come true, what I believe the claim that a delicious, moist, and firm cake could be cooked to perfection in a slow cooker. But I'm here to tell you, it can happen, and it did. Eleni shares with us today the recipes and traditions surrounding her version of Vasilopita, a traditional orange cake eaten by Greeks on New Year's Eve, and made by me now twice in the slow cooker successfully. We'll also discuss what it was like to be the daughter of a Greek man and English woman, raised in Athens, educated in the UK, and how food bridged the two cultures. Well, thank you for taking this time since you are so busy right now. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much for inviting me. Mm, Well, speaking of pleasure, I did make the cake last night, as you saw on Instagram stories, and it was delicious. (laughs) I've been biting my nails. (laughs) I was really skeptical, but it was delicious. We all crowded around the island, stuffing our faces with it. (laughs) In fact, it was too warm to put on the glaze, and we ate half of it unglazed. So I'll (laughs) glaze I'll glaze it this morning for the little kids who were already in bed. (laughs) It's yeah, it's a good one. It's surprising, isn't it? The whole cake in the slow cooker thing. It's very surprising. Yes. And I will have some questions about it later on, but Mm -hmm. I was really, well, I did trust you and you had already led me well the first time with that delicious beef in the wine sauce. (laughs) Yes. That's a good one as well. Yeah. Um, very good. So I was trusting you. I, w- I was like, okay, I think I'd have to choose optimistic, but only because Eleni has proved herself to me. So what I would love to know is about New Year's Eve traditions in Greece. You told me about one really fun one related to this cake. <laughs> so maybe you could share about that. And then also, uh, other New Year's Eve traditions. And one thing I'm particularly interested in, you know, I put this in the questions, is that I had no idea before I kind of got into this community and started to talk to people that Greeks was so religious, which I realize now is like incredibly ignorant. You know, anything you read, it's kind of the first thing that comes up. But I kind of had this... You can't know you can't know things like that about every single country in the world, Becky. So give me well, yourself. A- <laughs> I think I kind of still thought of Greece as the place where people went during study abroad to have parties mm. and have a lot of fun and you know get tan. <laughs> yeah, well, it is that. It is also that place, <laughs> right? So I'm I'm so curious about the relationship between those two cultures in Greece. And then especially as they pertain to New Year's Eve. Hmm. 
Well, well, first of all, I mean, religion and, and having fun go perfectly hand in hand here. There's, <laughs> it's not like, uh, you know, like they say about, for example, I don't know, the Catholic, um, uh, my mum's Catholic and there's always this, you know, about, oh, we're always feel, feeling guilty about something. Well, Greeks, no. <laughs> um, and they love having fun. And, um, but, but also, yes, uh, it is, religion is a very important part of the Greek culture. And, um, mm-hmm. However, Christmas isn't the most important religious holiday. It's Easter. That's the big one here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a good opportunity for a party. <laughs> so why not? You know, good food. That's always part of a, a good party. Um, the, I mean, the biggest tradition is the the coin in the in the cake, the New Year's cake. It's called Vasilopita, um, and there are various sort of types of Vasilopita, depending on which area of uh, Greece you're in. But most of them, um, most areas have this tradition where the, a coin will go in either before it's baked or after, maybe depending mm-hmm. on what sort of cake it is. Uh, it it also can be in the form of a um, a sweet bread. The, and it's basically it brings you good luck. So the cake is cut at midnight, and each mm. each person there gets a piece. Also, you usually cut a piece for the house, for the home. Oh, the home, uh, word yes. Um, not not the actual building, but you know, you, you cut one for your home. You cut one for Jesus first. Okay. Then for the home. Well, I mean, it depends on the family. You know, some people will will have other. Um, it will include other pieces as well and then of course yeah. a member of the family gets the, gets a piece and okay so the, by home you kind of mean like the household yes yes oh that's kind and of that's nice. one of the first pieces mm. uh and then you you know you just dive in <laughs> and look mm-hmm. for the coin <laughs> like we did around the island last night <laughs> <laughs> and we're, whoever gets it, it might get a little gift or basically it, it, the, the whole point is for the good luck Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, families do now give gifts as well, especially if a child gets it, uh, or, you know, um, some pocket money. Yeah. Um, yes, it's, um, uh, it's, it's fun. Uh, and it's around, the, it, you do that at midnight mm-hmm. and then, um, it's either stay at home and have a big feast or go out and party. Uh, and that's yes, after, after midnight. <laughs> I was going to say now, <laughs> see, now that's the impression of Greece that I had. <laughs> yes. That the party now started at midnight. <laughs> now we're getting to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, this is so interesting to me. Um, a couple of follow up questions. So first I loved the idea that you wrote about, I don't know why it's just a nice tradition that you say the name of the person that you're cutting the piece for before you cut it. <laughs> it's well, just, Go you ahead. avoid a lot of arguments. Oh. <laughs> it, 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 it's, that is the reason. There's nothing sort of more, um, you know, more to it. it it's basically because uh, if you cut it and then the coin appears, because maybe it's under the knife. Oh, so, and then okay. suddenly there's, a, there's the coin. Then it, well, whose was that piece? So, yeah. <laughs> That's <keeps> piece. <laughs> That's funny. Yes, I was thinking it was sort of this very mindful, like, let's all take a moment to appreciate Eleni as I take this slice. But no, it's just to avoid the argument. I love it. You know, to be honest, I don't even know if everybody does that, but it works for us. It's a fun tradition. It's a fun tradition. So any any more specific memories of New Year's Eve as a child celebrating in your home? 
You know, I thought about that and I don't really have that yeah. many New Year's Eve. I don't like New Year's Eve. So really? I, you know, no, that's yeah, funny. <laughs> no, I find a little bit of a melancholy associated with it. Yes, yes. Um, and that's not to say that I, I didn't have fun New Year's Eves when I was a child. Um, I don't think we we often did huge sort of uh, events. And from a point onwards, I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit at home and have some lovely, I don't know, cheese and wine, you know, something yeah. like that. And just, you know, enjoy the quiet. It's crazy here in the streets when you, after sort of midnight, when people start to go out, you always have expect great expectations. Uh, yes. It, New Year's Eve never lives up to them. At least for me, it hasn't. The majority of my New Year's Eve's. A lot of the time I'll visit my mom and, and indulge in, you know, sort of really expensive and fancy cheese, uh, crackers, you know, a nice sort of cheese board, that sort of thing to make it, you know, a little bit special. But apart from that, you know, it's law and order on the telly or. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and I think that's perfect anyways, because really, as you mark the new year, it is kind of a time to think about, well, which are these relationships that are going to last year in and year out? And it sounds like you and your mom are fairly close. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, we are. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. So, so you oh. and your family, <laughs> you also had a Greek father and an English mother. So what did it look like for those cultures to come together in your home? And where were you, where, where did they choose to raise you? Well, one word, divorce. Mm. <laughs> the mm. two cultures ended in divorce. Mm. <laughs> okay. I'm joking. I mean, obviously not all uh, English Greek couples divorced, but um, yeah. my parents did. Um, Do you think the cultural differences were a part in that or was that it was at a run of the mill, you know, a bazillion Greek couples might divorce, a bazillion English couples might divorce? They might, but but definitely it was a huge part of it, for sure. Really? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So were you, you were raised in Greece then? I was. But your yes, mom and-, and dad were both, were both there. Yes, my mum already lived in Greece before she met him. With a lot of her friends who are sort of, you know, British or, or foreign in general living here, most of them moved here because of uh, meeting someone and deciding to live here permanently. My mum actually had already made that decision years ago. Really? And yes, yes, she's been here since, oh, what's, what was it, 68, 1968? 68, wow. Long. That was like a hop in time in London. That's a crazy time to leave yeah. England. It was a very, um, there was a lot of culturally, I mean, it was a cultural revolution, essentially, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, she left home very young and worked on ships for a while. She did um, sort of like Europe to Australia wow. uh, voyages on uh, on a, a Greek line. And, uh, and also, I think she worked on a Russian company, on Russian ships, Wow. They weren't quite cruises, you know, there were sort of the liners that would um, take mm. uh, people sort of across continents. Uh, mm. Yeah, and she enjoyed or enjoyed the traveling and then, you know, ended up here and spent time here and loved it and decided to stay. Wow. So, so, that, so that's mainly, I think, why she didn't leave after splitting with my dad. She yeah. stayed because it, this was already her home. She had already chosen this to be her home. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, now she's been here way more than she was ever in in England. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, since 68. Wow. Yeah, that's over 50 years. 
Yeah. Wow. Wow. Now, did this, what, tell me about the cooking as you grew up in your home. Was it mainly Greek? Was it, did she kind of bring an English flair to it? Or did she not even care to cook very much? She did cook because, well, we had to eat and um, and mm-hmm. Greece wasn't, especially then, wasn't uh, at all big on sort of convenience meals. You know, you couldn't really find ready-made yeah. ready prepared meals or or even ingredients you know everything was very much from scratch mm-hmm. uh, at that time and still is in a big way mm-hmm. so yes she, she did cook when she had time but it was more sort of bringing a practical flair that, rather than a british flair mm. <laughs> trying to 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 make good food um tasty food because she didn't really have much time um she worked two jobs for a while so you know wow. there was those limitations but uh, yeah no it, it wasn't a really big part of yeah our, our sort of you know home life the whole cooking thing you, you know you hear a lot of food bloggers saying oh I grew up in the kitchen with my grandma or my um, my mom and she taught me there was nothing like that for me mm-hmm. um, I wasn't interested and I don't think my mum would have had sort of the time or the patience to sort of teach me things you know about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did learn to warm things up because she was at work and we had to, you know, <laughs> had to help feed my brother. <laughs> well, that's the thing about cooking, right? I mean, you have to do it one way or another. Um, and I think the lucky people are the people who like it because it makes something that everyone has to do less of a chore, you know. Yes, but yes, yeah, sure. there's a practical point to it. And if you don't have the time, you just don't have the time. It's as simple yeah. as that. It's yeah. not. It's not the most important thing in the world even though I host a podcast that romanticizes it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? This is another thing I was thinking about this morning. I don't really know if she really likes cooking or not. I don't think so. Probably do more of it now. um, I I don't know if it was sort of ever her favorite pastime, but she did do lovely things for us for parties when we were kids. And she'd make, you know, nice birthday cakes a lot of it, again, was can't afford to go to the pastry shop and buy a birthday cake. So, you know, I'll make, I love strawberries and my birthday's in May. So my cake always had strawberries and that was very special. Oh. Um, you know, things like that. So she did enjoy putting things together for to, to, to make us happy. Again, I yeah. don't know how much of that was her loving doing it and, and her sort of loving us and wanting us to have a, you know, a nice party. So I have to ask her about that, actually. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's an interesting point that even if you don't love to cook, you actually do still, you, you can still love people through your cooking. I mean, it sounds like she did that for you, yeah. which sure. um, I think that's the reality. That's a reality for a lot of people. Not everyone loves to cook, period. It's just yeah. as simple as that. Well, how about these two aunties, Josie and Angie, Angie, Angie that Angie. you dedicated the book to? Uh, well, these are two of my mum's sisters. Um, she has another sister who, uh, all her family are in the UK. But sadly, Josie and Angie, uh, we lost both of them uh, just before the book. Um, I can't remember if it was just before it was... Well, I think I was in the process, either early process or, or so they didn't get to see it, unfortunately. And I'm sure they both would have loved it. Yeah, but very different characters. Um, actually, my mum, my mum is one of six. Um, oh. So yeah, four girls, two boys. Um, and Josie was the eldest. Uh, a really impressive, strong woman. Um, she was a politician. Really. Uh, 
Yeah, actually a member of the House of Lords. So that's wow. that's pretty big. <laughs> uh, wow. And, you know, the House of Lords is you're either it can be hereditary. Um, you have the title from your family or you are made a peer. And of course, it, we don't have that in our family. So it was all due to her work in politics. Um, that's amazing. So, yeah. And she was, you know, really, she was a whip. Mm. As a whip is someone who sort of keeps, let's say, the members of the party in line and, mm. and make sure they vote according to the party policy and not go- going their own way. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, it's a very sort of fascinating thing. I don't know much about British politics. To, to be honest, I don't know much about Greek politics. I'm not one, you know, to sort of know the ins and outs of how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, George trying to explain your system. Well, that, <laughs> I, I, we just gave up. <laughs> I mean, so, but yeah, but how does that work? And, and he was trying. He was saying, you know, he's really good at all this. And he said, it's really simple. It's the simplest system. I'm like, no, no, I don't get it. <laughs> so yeah, I'll stick to my cooking. <laughs> I think a lot of us decided to retreat to cooking over the last <laughs> last little bit of time. You know, you do you do what you I mean, there there does come a point where you just say, OK, where can I affect change? And that's where my energy is going to go. And I'm I'm very much at peace with that personally at the moment. And then what about the other? So that was your aunt Josie who was yes. in parliament. OK, and then how about Angie? Angie, a totally different um sort of character and personality, very arty. Mm. Yeah, very artistic, made amazing clothes. She dabbled in fashion and textiles. I didn't see her as often as I did Josie because Josie came over to Greece very much. She loved Greece and Mm. she came over as often as possible, almost every year. Mm. So I spent a lot more time with Josie. But my last memory with Angie is we spent a day in, well, a city in England called Bristol when I was there for work. Uh, and that was a, a brilliant day, really, really great day. Yeah, I, I'm really proud of all my family in the UK because mm. all, I have loads of cousins as well. And they're just really, really nice people and really funny, you know, great sense of humour. <laughs> you know, it's the best when, you know, sort of visiting. We just have the best time. I mean, my, my uh, uncle has a farm that, you know, and there's so many, there's so many differences between them as well and the types of lives they lead. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes it all the more exciting, you know, when we go and visit. And we have epic parties, epic parties, even, you know, and that's not the Greek side, that's the UK side. So yeah. <laughs> it's like, hmm, hang on, we're just talking about Greeks partying. But actually, <laughs> wow, yeah, really good get-togethers. So we definitely need to do another, another one of those when everything is settled down, hopefully soon. So then you did go to university in UK and I'm curious why you made that decision kind of if it felt like culture shock and then also that was a big turning point in terms of you becoming much more serious about food. Hello, listeners, just a brief interruption to remind you to hit that subscribe button. Next week, we will be hearing from Father Leo, a priest who is also an entrepreneur, a television personality, and such an amazing cook that he even beat the mighty Bobby Flay live in front of an audience. We cover a huge array of topics from theology of food, the big moment in seminary where he first experienced this highly unusual calling to a ministry of cooking and his childhood in Baltimore as the son of Filipino immigrants. 
Father Leo is a magnetic speaker who shares profound thoughts with a lot of humor mixed in, and you definitely won't want to miss this one. So go ahead and subscribe right now. Thanks, and let's return to the delightful Eleni. Yes. Um, well, no, actually, there's quite a few reasons. Yeah, university education here is, is it, first of all, it's really hard to get into university here. Really, well, it was then um, really, really hard. And for me, I thought, well, you know, if it not that it's super easy to, to get in in the UK, but at the time, first of all, we had as a European citizen, I didn't we didn't need to pay fees at a UK university. Um, but universities here are free anyway, so we wouldn't have had to pay if I stayed. But it would have been really difficult for me to get in here. So I thought, well, you know what? I really fancy living in England for a while. So why not do that? And also I wanted to be a social worker. Um, and it, it made sense because it's that's something that's way more developed in the UK um, than it was here at the time, for sure. So it just it it was a fun thing, you know, a, a great opportunity. I wanted to I did feel at home. Um, because we'd been we we visited so often, and because of my family and everything, yes. um, I, I only applied to one university, oh. which was um, is in the town that my auntie Josie lived in. Oh, um, but I was very familiar with that town. I'd oh. been there a number of times. I'd um, met some of my cousin's friends there, so I knew my way around. It was fairly. It, it is well. It's bigger now, but it was a fairly small town, so I felt comfortable. That's great. And yeah, there was no culture shock at all. It almost felt in a way like going to this home because it really it really was a second home to you because of all the family. Yes. I mean, of course, some things, you know, felt very different. But no, I can't say that it was hard at all. Well, talk to me about starting to learn to cook there. This is when it really began to shift to this massive part of your life and career. It sort of did, but then went on hold again. So mm-hmm. the first the first couple of years, um, I lived on beans on toast, uh, <laughs> behind beans, you know, in, from a tin. <laughs> so tell me, this is not actually something we meet, eat in America, beans on toast. Are these kidney beans? Are they baked beans? What is they're beans. They're literally, you know, the, the classic baked beans that come in a tin, mm-hmm. the bean tin, and um, you, you just make some toast and then put that over you know warm the beans up of course mm-hmm. and then put them over the toast and enjoy it. and oh you can put some uh grated cheese on top as well mm-hmm. if you want and that's a that's the classic student dish mm-hmm. uh, at, least, at least in my time and then of course there were spaghettios as well and they went on toast everything went on toast <laughs> everything goes on toast <laughs> yeah. well all of it has more nutritional content than ramen which is kind of <laughs> the joke the joke um college student fair right. here <laughs> okay well i don't know the beans definitely are, are, were good but the yeah. spaghetti i'm not quite sure yeah. <laughs> i agree with you on that sourdough bread it was just plain white toast bread you yeah know, that yeah. comes in a packet so yeah but um then in my third year i started hanging out more with greek students whereas the first year i was sort of more with an international crowd um, and we, that, that doesn't, isn't directly related, but we tended to sort of hang around indoors more and just sort of sit and, and chat and have coffees and this sort of thing and eat, um, sort of as like, in, you know, um, keeping each other company, that sort of thing. Yeah. 
instead of going to the pub and things like that, we did more indoors, um, social gatherings, that sort of thing. But uh, and and it was nice to be able to make things that reminded us of of home. Yes. Well, them of home and me of my half home. Um, so a big factor was that that year I um, I spent Easter there because, you know, Greek Orthodox Easter is different sometimes. It, it depends. Each year it's... Um, oh. It's so sometimes yeah. the same uh, as the Catholic and um, Protestant Easter, and sometimes they're different. So in that year, the Greek Easter, we had to spend in England. So it was like, you know, oh, no, we have to find how to make, you know, the traditional soup or this and that and the other. And I called my mum, who actually I didn't mention earlier, but she learned to make a lot of Greek dishes uh, and very well. She she is a very good cook. They're not liking it um, or, or, or like, I, as I said, I don't know if she liked it or not, but she was very good. So anyway, yes. I called her and I'm like, you know, um, can, can you tell me how to make this soup? And she, she faxed, faxed me. She wrote out the recipe and faxed it because then, you know, was, and I actually Lots had to go people to listening to this won't even know what that is. I know, that's terrible. And I, and I didn't, I had to go somewhere to receive this fax. I mean, I didn't even have a fax. Yes. So, <laughs> sure enough, she sent it and we discussed it in length over the phone. Yes. And I made it and, and it was a success. Do you remember what soup it was? It's called Mahirita. As I've actually got the recipe in the book. Yes. Um, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Mm. <laughs> it's so like that, it's very lemony. It's le yes. It's with egg lemon. Yes. The, you know the typical egg lemon sauce that Greek Greek yes. cuisine has the avgo lemono, um, and it's ma mainly greens and a lot of uh, uh, offal. Is that how you pronounce it? Um, mm. From lamb, because lamb oh. is you know, the main Easter dish. Mm -hmm. So then, and this soup is made on the evening before okay. uh, and it's eaten just after midnight, after you come back from church, blah, blah. So, uh, I mean, we, we didn't go to church because I don't think we had a Greek Orthodox church near us, but we made the soup anyway. And we made it as I liked it, which had only chicken livers in, none of the other weird stuff. <laughs> so, so my friends were a bit like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, this is really good because it was how my mum made it for us. And I really liked it. Oh, even like, chicken liver is a bit of a stretch for me. <laughs> it wasn't quite like their mums made it, but whatever. <laughs> no, it never, it never is. It never is. It never is. Every, yeah, it never is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a big debate here is, um, you know, the, the cover of my book with the, the stuffed tomatoes. Yes. It, whether they should have minced meat inside or not. That's a, that's a big one here. You know, oh. you've got no way and you've got, hey, you know, you're not cooking it properly if there's no meat in it. So oh. and then, then we have quite a few of those. Okay. Okay. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Have you received that kind of on a lot of recipes? Well, this isn't quite traditional while well, this is. Actually, no. I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's more a joking yeah, it, it's more sort of done in a jokey way. It's not I, I don't think people have actually had arguments or anything, you know, like any serious um, disagreements on that kind of thing. But it, it is something that will ignite a, a, a lively conversation. That's that's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, this is all actually making sense to me because I did think, well, you know, and I put this in the questions. Well, it's a little odd to 
<laughs> it's a little odd to leave Greece, which I think most of the world kind of agrees. I mean, this is the kind of food a lot of people in the world want to eat. This food does well. And go to England, which, I mean, honestly, England is often the butt of the jokes when it comes to food and cuisine. <laughs> so I was so surprised when I read that, that you left Greece, went to the UK, and that's when the cooking developed. But it does it does actually make a little bit of sense that it <laughs> developed in the sense of making these traditional Greek recipes. Yes. <laughs> no offense to any of my dear, dear UK listeners. <laughs> you know what? British um, uh, cuisine is is underrated. There's there's a lot to it that people don't realise. There are a lot of really, really delicious things um, that I would really crave when I was younger. And oh, I mean, a lot of the time, you know, when people say, "What do you miss about England?" A lot, of, a lot of it involved food. It could be junk food like um, hula hoops, which is a type of like, potato chip, um, or or it could be, you know, pies, amazing pies like mm. meat pies, chicken pies, mushroom pies, um, steak and ale, this sort of thing. pub food. Mm-hmm. What, what we call pub food. That's um, very sort of rustic and hearty sort of very substantial dishes, you know, that will really fill you up and keep you warm because obviously, you know, it's colder country than, than here. Yes. Um, so there, there's, yeah, it's a shame because there's a lot, a lot to, to English or British food um, that sort of goes unnoticed. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the joke here, oh gosh, if you hear what they say about English food here in Greece, gosh. <laughs> Good for you for standing up for the <laughs> for the UK cuisine. <laughs> but you know, you know, it's it's sometimes though food tastes really good in the country that you're eating it, and it doesn't quite taste the same because you know the ingredients are different. I mean, I shouldn't really say that when I've got a, a Greek cookbook out in the states, but and also you know, it there's so much it, it, when you're on holiday. Everything's yes. going to be tasty. It's all going to be really good because you're having fun and, you know, yes. you're in the sunshine. You don't have to work and get up in the morning. So everything's <laughs> <much> better. <laughs> well, it's it's- same, if you're on holiday in England and you're, you know, uh, sitting in this cozy pub with a huge fireplace and outside, you know, there's rolling green hills. What you eat is going to stay with you and it's going to be fantastic. Um, Absolutely. And you're eating it so mindfully. For our 15th wedding anniversary, we went, we went to Ireland, but we went via London. So we were had 48 hours in London. And yeah, every dish was like, oh, I've always heard of sticky toffee pudding. It's my only chance to try it. You know, so you're being really, really mindful. So yes, yeah. part of the experience. Exactly, exactly. So then yeah. from there, you said you kind of, you, you got into it. Well, it was kind of almost a way to deal with homesickness, even though you didn't have culture shock and to really bond with these Greek friends. So you started to get more and more into cooking and then you left it behind and came back to it. So tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't do so much of it. I did, you know, it, that's where I discovered that if I wanted to, I could cook. I think that's mm. the best way of describing that phase of my life. Mm. Um, and that was following recipes. I, I didn't do my own thing. I, I wasn't that kind of person. I still aren't, but and now I have the experience where, and, and that will help me sort of adapt things. And, and yes, I can develop my own recipe, of course, mm-hmm. but that's just because I have a lot of experience. At the time, uh, I was very good at following 
orders following instructions. So if I have a good recipe, I can cook. There was no longer any fear of going into the kitchen. Yes, exactly. And also, I got a taste of how nice it feels to offer somebody something you've made mm. and be really happy with it, you know, uh, like a piece of cake or a piece of spanakopita, which I made uh, while I was a student. And, you know, this Greek Easter soup and, and how sort of it's such a joyful thing and you feel so nice and also you know when you receive compliments i'm not going to i'm not going to hide from that also it's nice to feel that you know ooh, of course say things about what you've done it's you know it's part of, of it of course yes yes so, yes so i got a, t- a taste of that but when i returned to greece i got straight into working in tourism mm-hmm. and that was hard work tiring and also of course you know i was in my early 20s so social life, all this, that didn't leave a lot of time to be in the kitchen. I didn't really have an interest. And also for the first few years, I lived um, with my mom again. So, you know, she would cook and I would do my own thing and that was fine. Yeah, It was when I lived on my own again, actually it was with a previous boyfriend, I think, um, when I wasn't living at my mum's. That's when I sort of, when the kitchen was mine. Yes. that's when I thought, mm, okay, let's see. Uh, and then, of course, you know, oh, let's invite someone over. So you invite someone over and you make something. And then again, you know, oh, this is so nice, Eleni. Oh, you know, uh, you know, it's it's really nice to make things that people like and watch them enjoy it. And it's so I, gratifying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at, at times I've been asked to write a short bio for you know projects or features or things, and I've always said that food blogging is my way of sending. Here we say Tupper, meaning a food container, obviously, you know, from Tupperware. Yeah. But, you know, sending somebody a Tupper means that you're sending them some food. So it, these are my virtual Tuppers that I'm sending to the world. My recipes are, you know, there for you to make. And it's as if I've, you know, come out onto the street with a tray of cake and I'm, you know, handing it out to people because I just, you know, love to see their reactions and, and That's whether lovely. they like it. Or not. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I, I, yeah. And that, that is actually, that's exactly what I feel like I received going through your book. Like I felt kind of nourished and warm, just reading the recipes, looking at the pictures and then, yeah, following them. And I do, it's a, it's a gift. It's a gift that you kind of gave our family. You really fell in love with the act of sharing food, this idea of giving something to someone and having them experience that blessing from you. And you experience the affirmation of them loving what you made. Yeah. Yeah. Always the people pleaser. (laughs) (laughs) Raising my hand and relating. (laughs) But yes, I mean, if, if I think back to all the sort of first, like, how can I say, major successes at having cooked something, it's always been to give to someone or to take somewhere. Yeah. Like I did a big spread for um, my colleagues at uh, the embassy and I even I even baked bread that day and I had yeah. n- not much experience in the kitchen. And, and I, I, talk about making your life difficult. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I just got so sort of caught up in it. And, and it, yeah, yeah, so that's definitely a really good way of putting it. I hadn't thought of it that way. But, yes, it, it's it's more the the sharing than the actual sort of um, – oh, although I do love to eat, I must mm-hmm. say. Oh, yes. Oh, And I think anyone sure. who loves to cook loves to eat because – 
when you are making those little micro decisions about, do I put in extra time or less? Do I skip the salary or put it in? You always have to have an audience in mind. And Mm -hmm. if you're not your own first audience, like you know what you like, the taste, the flavors you're going for, you're always going to feel a little rudderless. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you have to veer off of a recipe, you have to at least know what you like, what you want, you know? Yes. So you went away from cooking and then you came back from it and not only came back to cooking, but you started your own company importing crockpots and you wrote a cookbook. So let's start with um, with your next phase in life at the embassy. Yeah. So what did, what did you do at the embassy? Can I ask? Um, yes, I was in the commercial department. Oh. Um, so I, I, not nothing to do with um, being a diplomat, <laughs> um, <laughs> which of course you have to study for. Basically, um, there are departments in the embassies of all countries everywhere uh, that help promote um, trade from their own from their home country. So for me, I was in the British embassy, so we were helping British companies export their products to Greece, basically, you know, developing the British economy. Or also helping promote big investments of Greek companies in the UK. You know, we had various services for British companies that wanted to expand and um, send their products over. And my favorite sector was, of course, food. The path is becoming clear now for me. I mean, I was always really, really, really excited when I could find something in Greece that was, you know, an English product or something that... because especially when I was a child, we didn't even have cherry tomatoes here. I mean, we didn't have celery, proper, big, white, you know, we had Greek celery. I don't know if you noticed that at all in the book where I talk about what I call Greek celery is actually the same or close to, I think there you guys call it Chinese celery. It's sort of more, it looks like a big parsley. It looks like a, whereas, you know, proper celery is what I used to call it, is these nice big white sticks that are crunchy. I love them. And whenever we went to England, you know, I'd be like, oh, what sort of celery? Are you serious? <laughs> I'd sit there that and so do tons of celery and um, cherry tomatoes and, you know, weird things like that. Or what was the other one? So fascinating to me. If there's one food I would never, ever, ever miss, it's celery. <laughs> Oh no, it's really good. It's really good. yeah, and 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 butter was the other one, proper butter, pro- proper butter because it was really expensive here. There's a butter that a traditional Greek butter, uh-huh. which uh-huh. is um, super strong flavored and and it smells really really strong. I've come to like these now, but I didn't when I was a child, and my mum did not like them. So mm-hmm. we didn't have fresh butter in the house. We had mainly margarine. For Greeks, they do a lot of baking with oil, yes, but also with, you know, with, well, with Greek butter, which is, again, the, the, you know, that's like I was saying, the very strong tasting. Um, that is actually quite, I, I, I've come to like that quite a bit now, and especially on things like roast potatoes or, you know, with like a fried egg or something. It's very aromatic, um, but it, it's, it's an acquired taste, um, the, the Greek style butter. Interesting. So then this is how you started, because I thought, how in the world does someone start a crockpot import business? I just thought <laughs> of all of the things, how does this happen? The fun, Okay, a weird thing about my sort of um, path into sort of the whole cooking world was that it began with collecting recipes. 
I mean, after after the English sort of um, period where I did some cooking and yes, I discovered that I could follow recipes and all this is great. When I came back and started working, blah, blah, and, and not cooking much, I did start collecting recipes for some weird reason. Maybe I just inside me knew that at some point I will start cooking. Mm-hmm. So I cut them out of magazines. I've been known to steal cuttings from doctor's offices. <laughs> then I sort of it started dabbling with Twitter. And then I discovered that actually, oh, there's these things that are food blogs and they have recipes and they look quite good. So then I got more and more into it. I discovered that there is this thing called a slow cooker and I read about it on mostly American websites and blogs. And I thought, okay, that's interesting and just sort of filed it away in my mind. And at some point, my mum was visiting my brother who lives in England. And she said, oh, you know what? Thanasi has um, this thing and it's a slow cooker and and he puts it in and and then we go out and then there's this lovely meal waiting for us. I'm like, oh, hang on, I know about those. I was like, okay, maybe I should look into it. Then forgot about it. But then my mum was so impressed with it that on her next trip, she bought me one. And she's like, you have to have it because it's really good. So I started looking for recipes for the slow cooker and... Then I got really disappointed because I couldn't find anything that didn't have a can of such and such a soup yes, or a packet of seasoning of some sort, yes. which I just couldn't find here. Even, yeah. If I could, I'd probably try it. Yeah. I, I, there was no way I could find, you know, tomato soup or, or mushroom soup. Or, yeah, cream of mushroom soup. Cream, or, yes, cream yeah. of cheese soup. I, I discovered that in a recipe. Cream <laughs> of cheese what is that? It's very common, actually. Here. Oh my! God. I mean, yeah. if you tell a Greek that there's a tin of cheese soup, they <laughs> look at you like you're completely mad. And then, luckily, I stumbled on a really good food blog, and um, it's um, um, Stephanie O'Dea. I don't Stephanie know. Stephanie O'Dea. Yeah. No, we're all about sh- sharing credit. <laughs> Stephanie O'Dea. I'm going to look her up, and she's a Greek blogger she no no she's american and she did an experiment where every day she made a slow cooker dish huh. and, and blogged about it and sort of shared the recipe and she shared her flops as well and you know please don't make this <laughs> and it was really fun and i found by then she'd already been doing this for a while and there were hundreds of recipes on her blog and a lot of them were from scratch so I thought, oh, finally, I can I can make these because, you know, they, she uses mushrooms and not cream of mushroom soup. Right. So that's when I started really seeing the potential. Um, and the first time I made a Greek recipe in the slow cooker was when I thought, oh, OK, this is really good. And I yeah. need to write a book. Um, but that was Wow. Huge. You immediately yeah. knew I need to write a book. Yeah, I had a notebook, and each time I thought of a recipe, a Greek recipe that would be good in the slow cooker, I made a note of it. Amazing. And and it was like one day I'm going to do this. Yeah. And, and actually, a publisher approached me. The publishers approached me, and that's when I thought, mm, okay, do I hold off and see maybe I don't know, shop around a bit. Maybe there are other publishers there because it's a good idea. There is a Mediterranean slow cooker book and sort of Italian, French, but there were no Greek recipes for the slow cooker because the Greeks don't have slow cookers or didn't. Right. So, yeah, so I thought maybe I should shop around. And then I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to get around to it. I'm not going to sit and create yeah. a, a book proposal. All oh, this seemed, I read up on it and I'm like, what? I don't have the time for that. So I thought, well, mm-hmm. here they are. I've got the idea already. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going back to your original question because before the book, 
I mean, the book was, let's say at this point, five titles in a notebook of recipes. I thought I need to, Greek people need to have slow cookers. You know, why don't we have this appliance? This is a brilliant appliance. This yeah. is the best gadget in for the kitchen ever. At the time I was at the embassy, so I was, it was an office job. I just stick everything in in the morning and come back and, you know, the food's ready. And it's like, well, well right. And that's the thing. Yeah, is that generations were changing, right? The idea of the housewife was less and less prevalent. Yes. Yeah, sure, sure. And it's, it is becoming well known now. And also, I mean, thanks to the internet, uh, a lot of um, sort of Greek cooks now have access to, to sort of all sorts of information. Um, and they're starting to learn about slow cookers and, you know, your instant pots and all that. But uh uh, a lot of and a lot of Greek new mums who are very keen on uh, providing very nutritious food for their for their kids. Also, there's a huge group, like a Facebook group, with um, uh, the members are mums who have kids with um, allergies and things, like food related allergies. Oh, uh huh. And that's I think one of the first places where slow cookers had been discussed. A lot of people who were members of those groups knew about slow cookers early on. Yeah. So I thought, you know what, why don't I try that? And this didn't have anything to do with um, anything. I'd Maybe I was sort of more comfortable with trying it because of my time at the embassy, but I didn't really, there was nothing, there was no overlapping of any information or, or access to any sort of resources mm-hmm. or anything like that. I just, I literally looked up, um the company and wrote them an email uh i don't why did i choose that company i don't know because they were british for me i reached out to crockpot and they they sent me back a whole load of information that just seemed too complicated so i was like yeah okay maybe maybe later when i'm bigger you know when my company is bigger yeah and so i was looking for someone who would just sell me a pallet of slow cookers, like 50 pieces. So I could, I didn't have the money to invest in, you know, a huge um, truck full of, of appliances. So, yeah. and, and they were happy to do that. It was, you know, the, the English brand that I work with and, and yeah, and it went from there. I mean, it didn't turn into a huge uh, money maker, but mm-hmm. it got people aware of mm-hmm. slow cookers and it helped the blog because if you search, if you're in Greece and you, you search, slow cooker my blog is pretty far up there yeah so it helped the the numbers in general my stats in general um and and it was and it was nice being able to you know sort of introduce this to so many people and it's it it's literally changed the lives of a lot of people it sounds dramatic but it has on a practical level yeah yeah well and you were just doing something that nobody else was doing it's as simple as that yeah yeah exactly so a lot of greek women prefer to put it on in the evening and uh, wake up to food that's already there and they'll put a little bit in because we don't Greek schools don't really have um, like proper lunches mm-hmm. so they'll put a little bit of food in you know the tupper as we, as we yeah. <laughs> mentioned well I have kind of two interrelated questions um, well first of all do you think that Greek food in particular lends itself towards the slow cooker to the slow cooker yes 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 big time Greek food has, there's a lot of fried food in mm-hmm. Greek cuisine, which doesn't work. Um, and of course, there's a lot of Greek food that's uh, cooked over charcoal. A lot of the meat is cooked over charcoal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't recreate that. 
-hmm. But uh, there are so many dishes that are cooked slowly, you know, on on a low heat, um, braised like in olive oil, this sort of thing. And they're just just ideal, ideal. And, of course, you know, the slow cooker can do more than we think it can. So it's not only that there are so many Greek dishes that are suitable for the, the, let's say, braising, there are also a lot of dishes that actually you can do in the slow cooker, like cakes. Yes. Um, The good thing about doing something like that in the slow cooker is that at 15 minutes in the oven can mean a disaster, Yes. If you get it, say, like a, a time difference of 15 minutes, it could it could be like you could destroy a cake. Yes. Slow cooker, you're not going to do much damage. You will if you leave, if you forget it for an hour. Yes. Because cakes cook in a shorter time in the slow cooker than, than meat, of course. Yes. But it still forgives. I mean, slow cookers are fantastic for students. Think about, you know. Yes. Uh, you don't even need to have a, a, an oven or so many things that you can do you only need an outlet you just plug it in (laughs) well it's so true and I think that is one of the things I mean there's a lot that I loved about your cookbook for one I am one of those people for whom Greek food seems like you know kind of the pinnacle (laughs) (laughs) of uh, culinary accomplishment on the earth so I just liked having access to Greek recipes so many there in front of me kind of you know however I choose to make them But then I also, I have to say, I loved the images. I really just sit and pour over them. I think they're absolutely beautiful, Eleni. But I also loved this cookbook that really pushed the boundaries of what I believed was possible in the slow cooker. And I was determined, you know, as we went back and forth choosing recipes, I was really determined to pick one that would push the boundaries and kind of test it. And um, I think there were two, two arenas that it came down to. One was the baking. You have actually quite a few desserts in there, which really surprised me, all of them looking phenomenal. And the other was the seafood, because I think of seafood as so delicate. So can you kind of speak to that? cooking seafood in a crock pot yes um it well well i mean the, the, the correct way people always say is very quick high heat for seafood. yes exactly uh, that's the case but it it doesn't always need to be i mean especially things like octopus yes um yes high heat and quick but also low and slow mm. both work the fish that again it comes down to how much the slow cooker will forgive your mistakes. Yes. Again, a fish in the oven, five minutes over yep. the time, it's, it's gone. It's tough. It's horrible. It, you know, it's like straw. In the slow cooker, you know, your five, 10, 15 minutes, it, it's not going to make such a difference. So you can still enjoy a really good, um, a really good meal. Well, it, if I can go back um, to, you said your your son asked you, well, why would you do it yeah. in the slow cooker? Um, I get asked that a lot about um, about recipes, and yes, I mean it's it's a it's a very valid question. The that what you said is is I think the number one reason in my mind because exactly you know you can just get on with other things even if house you know you might be I don't know you might want to take a shower and not have to be sort of looking every I, I, with the oven I tend to look very often. Uh, yes. even when it's not time to check, I'd find myself being more sort of anxious about it. Um, there's also another um, good reason, and that's the cost of the electricity. Because here, um, you know, the our ovens are electric, 
most of the time and the difference in the in the energy consumption between the two appliances is that you can't compare it even if the slow cooker is on all day it will burn a lot less electricity than the oven for an hour you know it's such a low wattage that you know the, the appliance is like 300 watts it's, it's nothing yeah. compared to your oven so that's another yeah, and- yeah, you raised another good point as well that I that I passed along to him, which is, you know, Greece is a lot hotter than the U.S. is, <laughs> and you have more hot days, right? Yeah. And so there are a lot of days in Greece when you don't want to turn on the oven, and certainly that's true in the U.S. in places like Florida and Texas, and you know, certainly even here where I live in Maryland near Washington D.C., you know, there's a lot of days I don't want to turn on the oven. So yes, it's a good point exactly. as well. This has been really, really, really fun. And do you have anything else you'd like to share? And of course, your oh, information. Sure, which I've I'll be got loads of things that uh, we're going to hang up, and then I'm going to. Oh no, I should have said that. I should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, then just tell everyone for now. Then email me later. We'll I'll, I'll slide it into the intro or outro. But <laughs> tell me, tell everyone how they can find you, and especially how they can find this really amazing book, which I honestly do. I honestly do endorse, you know, just as a reader, as a as a maternal head of household. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. Thank you. Well, the book it's called The Greek Slow Cooker, and it's available in bookshop bookshops as well in the U.S. and Canada, um, as well as of course all the major um, internet like big bookstores, the yeah. e shops. My blog is thefoodycorner.net. And my Instagram is the foodie corner. So yeah. yes, and I will absolutely share all of those in the blog posts, both both posts, both the recipe and the um. Oh, actually, am I allowed to share this recipe on the blog, or is your publisher? Yes, um, we got permission. That's fine. Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, well, Eleni. I really do appreciate your time so much. I agree. I could keep talking forever. So thank you for forgiving me for <laughs> taking so much of your time. No, no, it was, it was really great. It was, thanks so much for having me. It, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, we will be very much in touch for sure. Great. Okay. Take care. I can't Have wait. A, such a good day. Okay. Or a it's good different. evening, I guess. My gosh, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the kitchen for me. (laughs) Oh, good for you. Good for you. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much, Eleni. And thank you to you listeners for being here. You can find all of Eleni's contact information, ways to purchase her book, as well as the images and the recipe for this absolutely delicious orange cardamom and ginger spiced vasilopita on the Storied Recipe website. As always, check out the storiedrecipe.podcast on Instagram for images of this cake, all the other recipes that I make, lots of behind the scenes interaction with me throughout the week as I work on the podcast and photograph the recipes. I would love to connect with you over there. Finally, please, 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 if you enjoyed this podcast, would you share it with a friend or rate it or leave a review? Any one of those things would mean the world to me personally and help me keep sharing stories just like this. Thanks so much and have a great week, my friends.